welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Trevor Estes. Enjoy. Uh, let's get our title slide up here. We are in the final uh, series. This, we're in a three-part mini-series uh, called Your Kingdom Come. Today is part three. And it actually comes from that line in the Lord's Prayer that we just sang. The worship team just led us beautifully in that song where we were actually singing the Lord's Prayer, which is a prayer that Jesus entrusted to his disciples that was actually designed to be prayed every day. Give us this day, this day, our daily bread. It's actually designed to be a prayer that we would pray every day that would create an orientation in us, that would open us up to God's presence, that would create the invitation that he would do the things in us he wants to do and also through us the things he wants to do. And, and that prayer is so significant. So this, this series is actually titled after that, Your Kingdom Come. And, um, you know, we've, we've treated this whole series. I, I, on the very first morning, I said, you know, this this three-part series, we're treating it as an appetizer. It's the appetizer to a main course. Well, here's how an appetizer functions. A couple of ways. First of all, an appetizer is genuinely satisfying, isn't it? Like most appetizers, you, like, you look at them on the menu and you're like, well, yeah, do, you know, do, do I have room for that? Yeah, I want it because I love shrimp, right? So appetizers are genuinely satisfying, but they're not completely satisfying right? They leave you wanting more. They leave you wanting the main course. And, and so we've wanted this series to function that way. We've wanted it to be something that you could take in that would be spiritually uh, nourishing to each of us and for our lives outside of here. But they would always also leave us wanting more. The other way an appetizer can function is that it can actually awaken hungers in us that we didn't realize were there. Have you ever had that experience where you begin to eat and suddenly realize, you didn't realize you were hungry, but then you eat something and you think, oh, actually, I'm famished. <laughs> you had that experience? I've had that. And in, this, in the same way, that can happen to us spiritually. And honestly, for our pastoral team, as we've been praying about this series, our prayer is that this three-part mini-series would awaken hungers and spiritual longings in us that we didn't actually know were there that we didn't realize we were hungry to experience the kingdom of God invading our lives and moving through our lives into the world around us. That we would experience just a taste of that and it would make us want more. So, so if the series that we're, you know, we're, we're wrapping up today, if it's an appetizer, what's the main course? We have a, a school that we're bringing on campus and online um, to our, our life together here this fall. It's going to be a nine-month school called the School of Kingdom Ministry. And today, after service at noon, uh, if you just head out to the lobby and then into the chapel, we're actually going to have a brief informational meeting, including lunch, about, about um, the School of Kingdom Ministry. So we've been kind of building to that to say, would you come and find out more about this? And so I'll just give, kind of give you an overview of, of the, the meeting. The meeting's today at noon. Uh, lunch and child care provided pizza um, with an exclamation point because... I'm talking about appetizers. So, um, But this school, this is the first time we're offering it at the Vineyard Boise campus. It's actually been in existence for about 10 years. It was pioneered by a, a wonderful vineyard church over in Urbana, Illinois. 
And they've been exporting it. They've, they've been creating it there and exporting the content to vineyards all around the world, actually. And this is just our first time to offer it. So we're excited to be able to offer it locally. Uh, it, is, it is one day a week, and it's usually a two and a half to three hour block that day. What I want to tell you today that we haven't said up until now is we're going to be offering a morning session of that school and also an evening session. And so if you visited the info counter in the first two weeks and, and you heard about the schedule and it didn't sound like it was going to work for you, we've had such a, a great interest in this school already that we're going to be, that we're opening up another offering. So it'll be both morning and evening. So um, that's the school. It's for ages 14 and up. There is a small fee and application process. And rather than signing up today in Heritage Hall, you can just go straight to the info meeting. And if you are joining online today and you can't come to the info meeting, but you are interested, if you use that email address, jessemeyer at vineyardboise.org or jesse.meyer, uh, and let him know that you're interested in the school, he would love to help you get connected. So having said that, today when you leave, uh, we're going to be handing these little cards out at the door. And what these are is they're reminder cards of some of the things that we've introduced during this three-part series. Uh, so, for example, last week we talked about the five-step prayer model that we have developed over the last almost 40 years in the vineyard that just teaches us how to pay attention to what God's doing. Because in and of ourselves, we can't do anything. We can't be a naturally supernatural people in and of ourselves but if we can pay attention to the indwelling Holy Spirit in us, if we can learn how to be attentive to what God's doing and yielded to and cooperate with him, we can see God's kingdom come in new and fresh ways. And so last week we, did, we went through that five-step prayer model. We did it pretty briefly uh, during the School of Kingdom Ministry. We're going to go through it in great depth, and we're going to have lots of opportunities to practice that. So this is just a little reminder card. We're going to give these out to everybody as you leave today, whether or not you want to come by the, the um, info meeting. Uh, and um, there's just a little reminder. You can tuck it in your Bible, put it somewhere where you'll see it again, and use it as a refresher. We'll be talking about some more of the concepts on it today. So, um, if, again, and if you, also if you're joining online and you can't grab one of these as you leave, but you'd like one, I, I would guess, um, I'm writing a check for Jesse to cash, but I would guess that if you use that same email address, jesse.meyer, that he would put one of these in the mail to you. So, all right. So let's talk about, let's go back to our title slide here. Um, again, this is the last in a three-part series. Uh, week one, if you weren't here or if you were here, but you just need a recap, uh, we talked about being a people filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, that, that we, um, our whole hope in being a people who can pray, may your kingdom come and your will be done, and who can also expect that we might see that happen through our lives, is because if we're followers of Jesus and we've invited um, him into our lives, then we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And it's that being filled with the Holy Spirit that gives us hope to, to be attentive to, to listen to what God's doing, not only in our lives, but to, in the lives of other people. We can learn to pay attention to that voice, and, um, and we can be, be yielded to him. So that's the first part. The second part, week two, we, again, we did the five-step prayer model. Um, last week, we, we talked about that prayer model, and then we made some space. So last week, in this room, we had three groups of people. We had people that, were, that said, hey, uh, I would love somebody to pray for me. I've got stuff going in, on in my life or in the lives of somebody that's close to me that I'd like to stand in proxy for and, and, and ask for prayer. Uh, and then we said, so there's going to be some people that are asking for prayer. There's going to be some people that are offering prayer, that are stepping out in faith and saying, 
God, you know, will you uh, help me to cooperate with you with what you want to do in this circumstance? And then there was a third group of us that were just witnessing. We were, we were attentively witnessing to what was happening. And I want to tell you that, that we, we are seeing as we ask for God to move in fresh ways, we're seeing things happen. And, and even this morning, Brent's going to come and he's going to, he's going to share one of the stories from last week. But I'd like to share, what I'd like to share with you is a story that, that didn't happen in here and it's relevant to where we're going today. This is a story that, that Ralph sent in this week and he said, a week ago I prayed for a man at our food pantry whose back was terribly compromised. Today, Wednesday, so this is just this last Wednesday, he walked up to me with a big smile and he told me that he had been completely healed. <laughs> now, this is somebody who came back. This wasn't somebody who in the moment said, yeah, I think I feel better, so you'll leave me alone. This is somebody who came back to give a report, right? Jesus had this happen in ministry. He had people come back to thank him. This guy came back to say thank you. He said, um, he said a couple of days after I prayed with him, he was awakened in the night with an unusual sensation in his back. When he got up, he was healed. We visited and we prayed for a moment. Then he picked up an, another food box and he carried it to his own car with no problems. So. By the way, I was talking with Lee who serves faithfully with our team out in the food pantry. She said yesterday we served 70 families in our food pantry, 70 households. And some of those uh, were like high number households, like 11 people in the household, nine people in the household. So... Um, that's a place where, in addition to giving out physical food, we're also offering spiritual food. We're, we're praying for people. And so what I want to draw your attention to as we start today is I want to draw your attention back to that title slide. And I want to, to, to just take a moment to talk about the imagery of that. So if you weren't here, we've been using this imagery during this series of, uh, of a Venn diagram. Okay, with a Venn diagram, you have overlapping circles with an overlapping middle, right? And the concept there is that uh, prior to those two things coming together, we had two separate spheres that was heaven and earth, the, the realm of God, the realm of, of people, okay? And, and in Jesus' ministry, those two things came together, and there was this overlap, okay? So Jesus came and proclaimed, hey, the kingdom of God is drawing near. And he wasn't talking about a geographical place. He was talking about the rule of God, the, the, the will of God, breaking into the human experience. And so Jesus could show people, this is what it's like when God's in charge. And he would heal or address the circumstances of living in a fallen world. Whatever it looked like for them, he would address those things because the will of God is ultimately that all of creation will be reconciled. Now the challenge is, as Jesus talked about the kingdom of God breaking in, he talked about it in a few different tenses. He talked about it being here right now, but he also talked about it as something that was coming. And so that's where we see that overlap. We see that that, that middle overlap is the kingdom of God where, where it's, heaven is touching earth, we might say. May your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. So we might say heaven is touching earth in that overlapping middle. But Jesus' desire was to see it not just stay in that one place of overlap, but that it would extend out into, into the world, that it would extend out into the places where it was not yet. We say the kingdom of God is both now and it's not yet, but Jesus taught his disciples, pray and ask. And so what we're talking about is living lives where, where we're expanding and extending the kingdom of God just by our obedience, not by anything we can do and our own strength, but by 
cooperating with God. That's his desire. We're learning to cooperate with him. So today what we're going to talk about is how do we do that? How do we go? And so for, for our purpose this morning, let me say this. Our life together, including our life here on campus, when we're here or, or if you're gathering on the live stream, when we're gathered as a church for our worship, for our teaching, for our learning together, for, when we're gathered, that's a place of that overlapping middle. It's a place where heaven is touching earth. But what we want to see is it not just stay there. We, we want God's kingdom to come here. We want to pray for people right here and see people be healed, see people's circumstances be uh, addressed in supernatural ways. We want to see all of that here, but we don't want it to be only here. And the reality is in Jesus' ministry, so many of the things that he did that were supernatural, so many of the things that he did, they, they were actually signs for people that didn't yet know him. They were signs for the others, those that were spiritually unconvinced, those who were not yet followers of Jesus. Now, that's why I read the story about the food pantry, because here's, here's what I believe, and I, I believe this is actually a word from the Lord for, for us, and I think it's scriptural, is that we've been asking for God to, to meet us in a fresh way. We, we want to see his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven in ways that, that, that are fresh today. We don't want to be just telling the stories of 20, 30, 40 years ago. We want to see it happen in our time. So we've been singing songs like uh, God of our, our mothers and fathers. You know, what you did before, come and do once more. You know, that, that's a song that's written for the vineyard movement to say, God, would you do it again? We've been saying, God, do it again, what you did before. Like, like children that are gathered around a, a parent who's, who does something that they delight in and the children, what do they always say? Do it again. You know, you throw them in the air. Do it again. We want to be like that. We want to be children to a heavenly father that have this longing and this desire to say, would you do it again? We've been cultivating that. We've been asking. We've been giving God our yes. We, we have language to say, God, you can have our unqualified yes. Whatever you want to do, that's what we want. As I shared last week, uh, there's a, a, a prayer that's been added to my own prayer life that, that is just a reminder that, that when we give God our yes, when we give God our ask, there's people on the other side of our ask. There's people on the other side of our yes. And so if we want to see that God is in fact answering those prayers, those longings, the songs that we're singing, if we want to see the, the, the things that we're asking about, it's not going to just happen here. It's actually going to happen when we step out of here into the places we live, the people we, we work with, the people we go to school with, the people we, we live near in our neighborhoods. And the question is, how do we do that in a way that's not weird or off-putting. We start with a story. This is a story from um, the book, The Deeply Formed Life by Rich Velatus. This is the, the book that the life, group, my, the life group that I'm in, we've been going through this book. We actually just finished it this last week. And um, I'll, I'll say this, it's been a great book for us. We, the, the content's been good, but also just gathering together to share a meal every other week, to share our lives every other week. We've had a great time as a life group, and, and um, I've come to, um, to deeply love, uh, in, a, in a greater way, people that I already knew, but, but now I, I, we have a greater love and affection for one another. So I want to read a, a story. The context for this, this is a chapter called, it's a chapter about missional presence. 
missional presence. That's being a people who are living on mission for God. That Jesus sent his followers to be on mission. And that, and that we're, that's for every generation of his followers. So how do we be a missional presence in this world? Not just on our campus. And increasingly, we can't rely on people finding God by coming to a church campus. We live in an increasingly post-Christian world where if we want to introduce those who don't know Jesus to his love and the gospel, we're going to have to go to them where they are. So how do we do that? Well, let me start with a story from Rich. Rich is a, uh, he's a pastor of a church in Queens, New York. So, so the context for his church, and actually this story, is inner city New York. Rich says, on a hot Sunday afternoon several years ago, I painfully observed a, a zealous believer attempting to share his Christian faith on a city bus. I had preached three services at church and decided to take the bus home. I had my son with me who was nine months old. Nathan was a chunky baby. I'm sure he likes that his dad put that in the book. <laughs> Nathan was a beautiful baby, and I, I carried him in one of those bucket infant car seats. When the bus pulled up, I loaded Nathan and myself onto it, appreciating the cool air, uh, appreciating the cool air conditioning, and I took a seat toward the back. I put Nathan, still in the baby carrier, on the empty seat next to me. I looked at him and started to playfully interact with him. It was such a delightful afternoon. At that moment, just a few feet behind me, I started hearing a gregarious man greeting everyone on the bus as if he were the mayor. Virtually no one greeted him in return. A few seconds later, he took out a big Bible and started to preach, quoting non-existent Bible verses while passionately pointing to words on the page. My eyes began to roll. He then sensed the Spirit leading him to say that this bus was filled with sin. I responded by taking deep breaths. He shared his version of the gospel, his, his version of the gospel, to a visibly annoyed congregation of about 15 people. And as he did so, an older white woman interrupted his sermon and in no uncertain terms told him to shut up. He preached louder. She began cussing him out. He started speaking in tongues. The people on the bus moved their heads back and forth like this was playing out as a tennis match. She cursed. He spoke in tongues. She ridiculed. He rebuked. This went on for a solid minute that felt like an eternity. After this exchange, they both settled down and a soothing silence ensued. Then out of nowhere, the conversation turned. The cursing lady began to aim her rage at the Obama administration. She began preaching about the ills of socialism, to which the Christian preacher started saying, Amen. <laughs> the people around us looked befuddled. I rubbed my forehead in exasperation. Thirty seconds later, an older black woman near me came to the defense of President Obama. You better watch your mouth, lady, she said. Then the two of them started getting into it. I live only two miles from the church, but this 10-minute ride felt as though it had doubled in time. Three or four people on the bus were now arguing, and I decided to stand up. In my irritation, I proceeded to step off the bus a good five blocks before my stop, <laughs> switching the car seat from hand to hand, struggling to carry my nine-month-old son. Just another New York City minute. Right? This is what Rich says just in closing. He says, granted, this kind of public preaching has its place in some context but this person seemed to be out of touch with the moment and with his method. Unlike this guy, however, 
Many people experience some form of anxiety when it comes to expressing the faith that they've come to believe in, with good reason. We've often thought that being on mission means having to share our faith with strangers in some random location. We've incorrectly understood extroversion to be a spiritual gift that every person must cultivate. But we need not think that this is what we signed up for. To be on mission is a multifaceted endeavor. God invites us, and here's the Here's the, here's the take-home. God invites us to consider our personalities, our context, our experiences, and out of who we are, discerningly participate in what he is already doing. This is our assumption about God. God is already on mission with every single person you encounter, that God is already pursuing them. We're not trying to initiate anything. What we, we're trying to do is learn how to pay attention to what God's doing because that's what Jesus' model was. Jesus said to his disciples, I only do what the Father's doing. That's what we want to cultivate as well. Being on mission is to discerningly participate what he is already doing. Being on mission doesn't require us to be intrusive, awkward, or coercive. It should be a normal experience. Well, we're not here today is to exhort or shame you into cringe evangelism. And there's a people who don't know how good our Creator is, who haven't heard the, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who have, who have deep pain in this world and are longing for a touch from their Creator, even if they don't know that. How do we do that? Today we're going to turn to Acts 3, and, uh, and as, we get, as we read the story, we're not going to go through it verse by verse, we're just going to point out a few things, but in Acts 3, let me just share the context. First of all, this is uh, after Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. Uh, the disciples had waited in Jerusalem as instructed by Jesus because their future life together and their mission was contingent on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Now here's the thing, these disciples had been in a three-year internship with Jesus, They'd been learning from him. They'd been watching him model. How, how do you pray, may your kingdom come, your will be done, and then actually move towards that and create space in which that might happen? How do we participate with the Father? They've been in a three-year internship, a three-year school of kingdom ministry, we could call it. But, but they don't just need the education. They need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus had said to them, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's their nearest ripple, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high, until you're filled with the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, resulting in 3,000 Jews from around the world becoming followers of Jesus. Many stayed in Jerusalem to learn and to explore this new life that reoriented everything about the way they lived. Here's one of the keys in understanding even the early church in the book of Acts is that, that we, we hear these stories about their life together and it's really shocking. Like they said that they sold their property, they, uh, they had all their meals together, they, they shared their homes with each other. And, and that, that is, that's, that's amazing and it's wonderful. And part of the reason that was needed is because all of these visitors were in Pentecost became followers of Jesus, and then had to stay in, in Jerusalem to learn, what does this mean? And so they began to share their life together, and they began to take care of people that, were, that had traveled from even other nations. 
Luke summarized that signs and wonders were being done through the apostles, resulting in more people becoming followers of Jesus. And then we jump into Acts 3, and Luke gives a concrete example, an example of signs and wonders occurring in their daily life, and how those signs and wonders actually help them to expand the kingdom of God, not just from their shared life together, but out into the world of people who didn't yet know Jesus. Acts 3, verse verse 1. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day, each day he was put beside the temple gate, the, the gate called the beautiful gate, so that he could beg from people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Okay, let's pause right there and, and just talk about this man we've just been introduced to. Apart from Peter and John and, and the Holy Spirit, he's our, our other main character in this, in this little narrative. And we're told, Luke tells us, that he's been, um, he's been crippled since birth. Okay, so he's not dealing with a, a recent running injury. Uh, he didn't just, you know, twist his ankle and he's on crutches for a few weeks. He has never used his legs. And we find out in chapter 4 that he's, he's, he's over 40 years old. Okay? He's, that means he's not quite as old as I am. <laughs> but he's close. I turned I turn 50 this week, by the way. I actually, I actually don't mind. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't care. Uh, so he's not, he's not quite there. He doesn't have five decades, but he's got over four decades in which he's never once walked. But he does have a daily routine. His daily routine is this, that every day that some of his friends or maybe a few family members carry him to the gate of the temple they place him there where he can beg for coins all day. And then at the end of the day, they come and pick him up and take him back home. And the next day, he does it all over again. This is this man's existence. And, and Luke tells us that this happened at the beautiful gate. That's, that's the gate that faced to the east. It was a gate that, uh, to the temple that was made out of bronze. And so in the early morning, it was really striking. When the sun, the, the rising sun shone on that bronze gate, it was really striking. Hence, the beautiful gate. It's the most popular gate in Jerusalem. The most highly trafficked gate as far as getting into the temple. So his friends and family are strategic. Like they put him at a place where a lot of people are going to see him, where a lot of people are on their way to the temple for daily prayer. They had fixed hour prayer throughout the day. So multiple times a day, people would walk past him and it kind of leverages that, well, you know, you're going into the temple, you want to throw a few coins in? You know, smart. So, this guy's well-known there. He's an institution. People walk past him every day. Think of like, um, they're, they're in your traffic patterns, as you navigate the city, there's probably people that you see regularly. If you go to the Costco up on Cole, and you go through the entrance where, where the gas station is, you'll, you'll see a, a little lady there that stands there and holds a sign. Right? You know who I'm talking about? Her name is Bess. Um, Bess has had encounters with multiple people here as part of our church, and we've tried to pay attention to those nudges. Sure, you may have done that as well. But every day she's there, right, holding her sign, most every day. In the same way, this guy was there all the time. So that's the setup for this inbreaking of the kingdom as a sign. Uh, chapter 3, verse 4, Peter and John looked at him. So he, he gets their attention. They're walking, they're, they're talking, they're on their way to fixed hour prayers. It's 3 o'clock. 
it's probably at this moment, it's probably 2.58. And they're, and they're just trying, they don't want to be late. You don't want to be late for fixed hour prayer at the temple. So it's like, it's 2.58, they're walking in, and this guy says, hey, hey, hey. And he gets their attention. Peter and John looked at him intently. I think this is really important. They looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The layman looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. And then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar that they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade. This is a, a kind of a little uh, courtyard area of the temple. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. And what follows is Peter and John then begin to address this crowd. So let me just give you a few closing thoughts here on this, uh, what happens. Your kingdom comes through signs. Uh, Peter and John are going about their daily routine. Again, it's 3 p.m. at the temple, but this time they get interrupted. They're making their way through the gate as they have done so many times. Anyone, anyone who was a faithful Jew living in Jerusalem would observe fixed hour prayer at multiple times throughout the day. And so they're on their way to the temple and they're, they're passing this man that they've passed so many times. I'm sure there's other times where they've dropped a coin in his can. And think about this. Think about all the times that in just the last few months, the recent months, they've walked into the temple with Jesus. Jesus has walked past this guy many times. Not just once, but many. This guy's there every day. And we see the last season of Jesus' three-year ministry. The last season of that is spent especially in Jerusalem, and he's at the temple quite regularly. That means Jesus has walked by this guy and never healed him. Isn't that amazing? I don't, I don't, we don't have a story. We don't have a story about how Jesus saw him and he, and he begged Jesus and, and Jesus thought, not right now. We don't have that story, but I have to think that there was some sort of nudge that Jesus experienced. Because again, Jesus only did what the Father is doing. I suspect that there was a moment where, or maybe multiple times, where Jesus walked past this crippled man who had this pretty limited existence, and his compassion would, would, would extend towards that man. We find that, that Jesus, whenever he encountered the pain of living in a fallen world, it awoke compassion in Jesus towards people. And so I'm sure that Jesus experienced compassion, may have even begun to reach out his hand and then just had an inner conversation with the Holy Spirit. Because that's how Jesus did his earthly ministry. He did it as a man empowered with the indwelling Holy Spirit. And we've had this little nudge that said, no, hold on. That's some low-hanging fruit for your disciples after you're gone, right? Just leave that one for Peter and John. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. But, but not today. And so maybe Jesus threw in a coin. I don't know. But Jesus didn't, because it's about timing. That's why it's, we want to discern how to pay attention to the voice of the Holy Spirit because the thing that we think God wants to do may be, the, in fact, the thing that God wants to do, but the timing may not be today. And so the question is, how do we pay attention to what God's 
doing today. The crippled beggar calls out. He gets their attention. Peter stops to look at him. And I think this is when Peter stops to really see him. Again, Peter, has, he's, he's checking his watch because they're trying to make it by three. But this guy gets his attention. And Peter stops what he's doing. He's moving forward with his plan for the day, which was actually a good plan. He's on his way to pray. That's, that's not like he's not interrupting him going you know, to the slot machines. He's, he's on his way to pray. But he pauses because there's something happening here and something makes him stop and pay attention. We've been talking, our staff, we've been talking about the, the moment in the book of Exodus. I think it's chapter 3 when, when Moses is out doing his job. He's tending sheep and he sees a burning bush off to the side that, that's burning but not being consumed. And he says to himself, I'm going to turn aside from what I'm doing and go look at this thing. And the text of Exodus says that when God saw that Moses turned aside, then God spoke. I think there's many times that God's speaking to us, but he's waiting for us to turn aside, to be willing to pause from our agenda, even our good agendas, to say, God, are you at work here? And so Moses turned aside to the bush and God spoke to him, said, I've seen the, I've seen the pain of my people, I've heard their groanings, and I want to stretch out my hand and rescue them. And when, when Peter and John turn aside to this man and they fix their eyes on him, I, sense, I, I think there's an inner conversation. We don't have it recorded by Luke, but I have to think there was an inner conversation where, where faith was stirred in, and compassion was stirred in, in Peter. Instead of just passing by or giving a few coins, Peter senses the Holy Spirit, has something else for this man today. Again, I think there's an inner conversation. Something wells up in Peter, and instead of asking him, like saying, you know, dude, um, gosh, I don't carry cash anymore. Uh, do, you, do you take debit cards? Do you, you got square, you know? He doesn't do that. He says, uh, I don't have any silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. And then he says something that sounds an awful lot like things that Jesus has said. In fact, if you turn to John chapter 5, there's a place where Jesus speaks something over a crippled man at a different gate of the temple. It was the gate of, um, near the pool of, Be of Bethesda. Also at a gate of the temple, Jesus spoke to a crippled man and said, I say to you, take up your bed, rise up and walk. And so when Peter says what he says to this man, he's not coming up with this on his own. He's actually just, again, he's mimicking, he's copying, he's, he's patterning what he saw Jesus do. And because he saw Jesus do it and he saw the results, that has, he has faith for this. And the Holy Spirit within him quickens faith and he speaks a word of command. And the thing that he says that's different than Jesus is he doesn't just say, rise up and walk. He says, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Because he knows that he can't do anything by himself. So he says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the man, of course, we know the story. He rising and leaping and praising God. So awesome. The astonished man can't contain his joy. Those who witness his exuberance are suddenly attentive and open to Peter and John. A crowd gathers in this highly trafficked place, and Peter and John, what happens is they redirect the crowd's attention. They say, hey, we are not anything. We are, basically, they say to the crowd, we're ordinary people with an extraordinary God. We didn't do anything, but Jesus can do everything. And so then they, they tell people about Jesus. And here's a crowd that actually has been opposed to Jesus up until now. 
I mean, just months before this, many of the people in this same crowd would have been the ones shouting, crucify him. But something happens when something supernatural breaks past their defenses. They said that the guy that they've seen crippled for every time they've walked past here, when they see him healed and jumping around like a gymnast, they think, oh wow, maybe there is something to this Jesus. And suddenly their defenses are disarmed. And they're open and attentive. And what, what the text says is that uh, that day, as Peter preached to the crowd, um, 5,000 more people responded. 5,000. Again, this is a highly, there's a context, it's a highly trafficked place. But 5,000 people who had seen this man, this changed their hearts. So the, the man got healed, but also 5,000 people saw a sign, a sign that led them to repentance, to, to believe in Jesus. So, I want to close my part, and Pastor Brent's going to come up. And uh, I want to close with the final scripture and, um, and a question. So the scripture is this. This comes from John 14. This is why Peter and John were confident that the things that they'd seen Jesus do multiple times, that they could cooperate with the same Holy Spirit and see those same things happen. Because Jesus had told them this. John 14. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me, anyone doesn't say the original 12. Anyone, future followers of Jesus, who believes in me will do the same works that I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so the Son, of, Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. That's an absolute promise that is different than my experience. Can, can we acknowledge? I mean, we've all prayed. I think I would imagine everybody in this room, everybody online, we've prayed for people and asked Jesus for things in his name, and it didn't happen. So the, the choice before us today is, are we going to try to explain what Jesus says in this, in this verse, try and explain it away in order to make our experience make sense? Or are we going to try and bring our experience into line with what Jesus promised? And I believe that, that God's heart for us and for the world around us is that we would grow and learn how to be a people who can cooperate with him. Just like those disciples had a three-year internship and, and they had to grow in learning how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, we can learn the same thing. Let's, let's ask Jesus to bring our experience into line with his promises, his goodness, his power. Amen? All right. Pastor Brent. Thanks, Trevor. So We've been in this series on kingdom and, and what that means and what it means to walk out the works of Jesus here today, uh, where we live, when we live. And what I love about it is that here in the vineyard, we, we would call it power evangelism. Not just evangelism, not just sharing our faith, but power evangelism. Not cringe evangelism like we heard earlier on the bus. Uh, but we call it power evangelism because you and I are each filled 
with the power of God. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. So we, we don't just, you know, we're not just handing out tracts, nothing, not that there's anything wrong with handing out tracts, but we're paying attention to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And so, uh, is that a little bit loud out there for you? Just a little bit? I might get a little louder, so hang on. So, uh, so if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, then, then what, what, how should be, we be responding to him? We need to be listening to him, paying attention to him, and then doing the works of the Holy Spirit that he's asking us to do. Uh, what I love about this story is um, that, well, I'll get to that in just a minute, but uh, so we're going to let him guide us today, and we're just going to talk through evangelism just really briefly, and we're going to use this card that, you, that I really want you to pick up on your way out today, um, and, uh, and if, you, if you're not on campus today, there will be a stack of these also at the um, office counter if you'd like to come in during the week and grab those, but uh, we've talked about the five-step prayer model. We've talked a little bit about words of knowledge. The other thing on this card is power evangel- the power evangelism model, and it's just three, three really quick steps. And I believe that they're really critical for us today to understand why, uh, to understand how the gospel goes out under the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the first one is just our approach, that we have that visible need approach. We can look and see that someone actually has a need, just like Peter and John did at the Gate Beautiful. What did they do? They looked. They saw him. They saw that there was a need. They weren't just randomly handing out materials. They looked, they saw a need, and they met the need with the power of the Holy Spirit. And this word of, and, and, and in that, you can receive a word of knowledge. And we talked a little bit about this uh, last week or week before, I don't remember which, but I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. You know, last week, um, you, I don't know if you noticed, but while we were praying for people, there were uh, words for prayer put up on the screen. And I don't know if you've ever seen those. You know, you know what I'm talking about, the words for prayer? Sometimes you're like, oh, that makes no sense to me. Well, let me tell you, it makes sense to somebody. Because someone has been praying for you that this week, and they receive a word, and they've, it's been put up on the screen by the prayer team. And last week, someone received a word of knowledge on our prayer team that said that someone was having pain in the bottom of their right foot. And we put that up on the screen, and someone asked for prayer. And you know, we received a testimony back this week here at the office that said that after an ankle surgery— Someone here in our fellowship, after ankle surgery, lost circulation in their right foot. I want to show you the first picture. So you can see up here, thanks Rob. So you can see there's supposed to be, on top of that foot, a vein that pops up, right? That is pumping blood and perfusing that foot. But since ankle surgery, that was not happening to this foot, which, as you can imagine, was causing pain. So there was no circulation. There was pain happening in this foot. And we, someone on the prayer team is praying. The Lord speaks to them and says, we're going to pray for somebody this week who has pain in their right foot. They receive prayer. And then I want to show you this next picture. Do you see a difference there? <laughs> you guys, that's, that's the power of God moving. Nobody did anything magical. Someone heard from the Holy Spirit. The Lord said, We're gonna, you're going to pray. Someone has a need to be prayed for in their right foot. There's pain in their right foot. This, hands were laid on that person. They prayed for them this week. There's now circulation happening in their foot. That's just God. 
There's not, that's nothing anybody here did. They just obeyed God. They just prayed for that person and saw God do something based off of oh, something simple like a word of knowledge. We like to call that being naturally supernatural. There's nothing weird about it. God speaks to people. God wants to speak to you and I. God wants us to be paying attention to what he's saying so that when he speaks to us, he can change someone's life and they can come to know him in a real way. Now that happened here at church. That happened here in the building at church. What I love about the story that Trevor spoke about earlier with Peter and John is that happened on the way into church. We've been talking a lot about recently about saying yes, about giving God our yes. Right? We've, been, we've been praying about it. We've been singing about it. We've been saying, God, you have our yes, our unqualified yes. Whatever you want to do in us, to us, through us, God, you have our yes. And Pastor Trevor mentioned it last week. It's not just yes. There are people on the other side of our yes. There are people waiting on the other side of your yes, my yes to the Holy Spirit. You know what? There's also people waiting on your way into church. You know, a lot of times as, as Christians, we're like, church, 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 church. Don't get me wrong. I love church. I love the church. I love everything God does here at church. But do you know there are people in need waiting on our way in to church? There's people waiting wherever we go. Every, every place that our, our journey takes us throughout our week that's not here in church, that's not here in this building, there are people waiting that desperately need that touch from God for healing in their body, healing in their mind, healing in their marriage, healing in their family. And he's waiting on the other side of our yes to meet them in those miracles. When we're talking about power of power evangelism, we're not talking about something strange. We're talking about God breaking in, the kingdom breaking in to our existence as people and doing something extraordinary like only he can do. So what do we do? This card is all about just making ourselves available to God. That's all it is. It's looking on here and being like, hey, I can, I can walk through these three steps and make myself available for God to do what he wants to do through me to other people. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about who is inside us. Like Peter and John said to the beggar at the gate, they said, silver and gold, you know, Venmo have we none. But as such as we have, we give you. Look, I, I've got the Holy Spirit. I can give you that. I've got the power of God. I can give you that. I don't have anything else to give you today, but what I do have, I'm going to give you, and I'm going to let the Holy Spirit move through me. We are advancing the kingdom, just like the graphic for, our, for this series. We are pushing the kingdom out into areas where he is not currently there. And we're saying, let your will be done here in Garden City. Let your kingdom come here in the Treasure Valley. Let your kingdom come here where I am in my marriage, in my family, at my place of business. Everywhere I am, God, would you, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done through me, just like it is in heaven. So we're going uh, gonna to watch just a, a really quick uh, testimony from John Wimber as he was wrestling through um, that that passage in John chapter 14 that Pastor Trevor just walked us through. He was wrestling through those things of, God, this is who you say you are. This is who, this is what we're supposed to be doing in the earth today. Why isn't it happening? Why am I not seeing it? They were praying for people. They were not seeing anything happen. 
And so this testimony is, is where God breaks in and teaches in, in one moment, is able to teach uh, what we're talking about today with, with a word of knowledge, with a vision, and with healing. So let's go ahead and roll that video. <laughs> I was so incredibly excited. Oh, I got in the car, and I'm driving along, and I had a vision. It was the first one I'd ever had. And it, I mean, really clear graphic. And I'm driving along, and, it, and it's a beautiful morning. And, well, of course, it would be. And I'm driving along, and all of a sudden, over the landscape, superimposed over it. It's... As far as I can see. It's what looks like a cloud bank, and it's going all the way across the, the, the sky. And I look at it, and I realize it's not a cloud bank, it's a honeycomb. You ever seen a honeycomb when it comes? Yeah. All right, it's dripping. And below the, the, the cloud bank, the honeycomb, are people. And they're in all kinds of different postures. Some of them are very reverent. They're, they're weeping. They've got their hands out and they're catching this honey. And some of them are sharing it with their friends. And other people are coming and dipping their finger in other people's honey. And, and other people are really irritated. <laughs> trying to get out of this honey. And they don't like it. And, and I'm looking at this thing, you know, and, I'm, and I, I'm so excited. I pull over the side of the road and I'm sitting there looking at it. And I said, God, what is it? What is it? And he said, John, that's my mercy. He says, for some people, it's a blessing. And for some people, it's not. He said, John, don't ever beg me for healing again. Look at it. It's, there's plenty for everyone. John, the problem isn't on my end. The problem is down there where you are. That was one of the most profound and moving experiences I've ever had. And I've never looked at healing the same way again. I've never gone into the, the sick and dying's room in the hospital. I've never looked at a child that was in, in desperate condition. I've watched my friends die and prayed for them, but I've never, ever known the desperation of soul that I knew before that moment. Because I know the problem isn't on his end. Our God has, has sent mercy in the Son. He sent his word to heal them. Jesus has come. He brought a message of love from the Father. Healing is here. The problem is appropriating it, getting blessed in it, receiving it. Over the next few days, we'll talk to you about many other aspects of this incredible experience of learning how to move in the power of God. Let's all stand. So, what I love about this, he says that the problem is not on God's end. It's not that God's not healing people anymore. It's not that God's not doing it anymore. So if the problem is not on God's end, and I'm the one standing between their healing and him, I guess maybe the problem's on my end. And I want to tell you today, the very last thing I want to do is, standing, is stand in between somebody else's healing and freedom and deliverance and appointment with God. 
I never want to be in between there. So what do we do? What is our posture before God? Let's stand together this morning. So the problem's not on his end. So that means my heart needs to be turned toward him. My heart needs to be filled with his Holy Spirit and ready to do his will, ready to do what he wants me to do. We've had a couple of awesome weeks of response to the Holy Spirit at the end of each of our times together. And I believe God's really been doing a transformative work in us as a people. This morning, if, if, if like John Wimber, if you're, you, there's a whole testimony before he shares this vision. If, if you're standing here this morning, you're saying, God, I, I, want, I want to be paying attention to the people outside the gate too. Like Peter and John, I, I want to be seeing you break in and your kingdom come and your will be done in people's hearts and lives through me too. That's what I want too. Your word says it. I believe that it's true and I want it to be happening through me to others from you, God, all at any opportunity. I don't want to be missing those opportunities. I think it's today, I think we're kind of in that moment like Peter and John, where they turn and they look and they see. They turn, the Bible says they look at him and they see him. It's an awareness change. They weren't, at one point they're headed into church, they're headed into pray, they're headed into do an awesome, good thing and something catches their attention. I believe that's where we are today. Something's catching our attention. The possibility of a city transformed has caught our attention. The possibility of Garden City changed is catching our attention. The possibility of marriages healed and saved is catching our attention today. I believe that even now God's putting names on your heart, faces in your mind, people that you know need a touch from the Holy Spirit today on our way into church. I love what God's been doing here at the altar on Sunday. And in just a few minutes, we're going to pray for people here this morning to be healed. So if you need to be healed, trust me, we're not just talking about people on the outside today. We're going to pray for you too in here. But listen, today he's catching our attention with those right outside these doors. There's people on the other side of our yes. There's people standing at the gate, sitting at the gate, waiting, waiting to be healed and invited in, to be carried in, to be touched by the master, to let the Holy Spirit flow through us to them. We've talked a lot about this School of Kingdom ministry that's coming up, and I, I sure hope you're getting involved in that. If you're not, that's fine too. God wants to do this through you. No school necessary. So this morning, if that's you and you're just saying, hey, I, I, I'm ready. 
I'm ready to do these things. I'm ready to see the Holy Spirit move through me to somebody else to heal them, to meet with them in a real way. If that's you this morning, would you just lift up your hand right where you are? We're just going to give God our yes. We're going to say, God, that's what we want. And then, Lord, if there's, Lord, that's what we want. And if there's something standing in the way of that, God, would you just remove that today? So let's pray. God, this morning, Lord, if there's anything that stands in the way of your mercy falling through us to our city, to those around us, Lord, we just give it all to you this morning. We submit our, our hearts to you. We submit our lives to you, God. And we say yes to you, Lord. We say yes to you, God. Our confession, Lord, that we are weak, so very weak, but you are strong. And though we've nothing, Lord, to lay at your feet, we come to your feet and say, help us along. A broken heart and a contrite spirit You have yet to deny Your heart of mercy beats with love, strong courage So let the river flow, God, by your spirit now Lord, we cry, let your mercies fall from heaven Sweet mercies flow from heaven, new mercies for today. Shower them down, Lord, as we pray. Let your mercies fall from heaven, new mercies fall from heaven, new mercies for today. Shower them down if we ask, and if we ask, you said you'd come. And send your rain on everyone. And if we ask, you said you'd come and send your rain. So right now we ask, Lord, right now. Your mercy 
So as we sing that song, that's what's happening here in the room. The mercy of God is falling and flowing here in the room. But what we're asking for is for that mercy to fall out of the room. From us. From us. So if that's you today, would you just say, Lord, let your mercy fall through me. Just speak it out loud. Just say, Lord, let your mercy fall through me. Lord, through these hands, through this heart, through this life, through my family, through my home. Lord, would you let your mercy fall through me to other people. Lord, that we would be a naturally supernatural people. We would just, in our day-to-day life, in everything that we say, everything that we do, that your mercy would just be flowing through us to other people, God. Let your mercy come to us. And let your mercy go through us, we ask today. And Lord, if there's anything that stands in the way of that happening, God, we repent today. We just say, would you just create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us? We want to be in right relationship with you, God, today. To to see you do something incredible here in this valley through us. We're going to sing that song again today. And if if you need to go, God bless you. You're dismissed this morning. uh, You're dismissed. We have a meeting at noon in the chapel for the school of ministry. But if we're going to sing that song again, and I want to encourage you just to respond to the Lord, lay anything down that's in the way, and just let him do a work in your heart and in your life today. Let the Holy Spirit do in you what he needs to do in us today. And then if you need healing for any reason, the prayer team, we want to pray with you today. So if you need healing for any reason, would you just come line up right along the front? We want to pray for you. If you need help getting to the front, send somebody to say, hey, let them come, have them come pray for me. We'll come meet you at your seat and pray for you and see God do a miracle in your heart and your life this morning. Let's sing it again. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.